everybody here we are welcome back to the guide on the side podcast it has been a hot minute but i am so happy to be back with season two um season two both literally and figuratively this is um this is the the landing pad this is the place for you to connect um to become a better communicator, um, either as an educator, as a parent, um, just as a human. And so just a reminder, I'm Roberta and this podcast is for everybody. It's for everyone that can utilize some tools, um, some methods and theories from my years of educational experience to be a resource and support you and support your children and your family. And, you know, we, we often get into the cycles of life. And as a teacher, those really often follow the school seasons. I don't know about you, but spring is a whirlwind in my household and in my classroom. And I really can't come up for air until summer break. Uh, I've gone through some transformations over the last few months and can now really step back and observe and assess what might come next for me. So this becomes season two, you know, and metaphorically about how I've kind of taken a step back and it helps sometimes to have these seasons of life. Um, but also, you know, the changing of seasons. I'm also turning 40 soon and I'm changing grades. I'm going back to second grade and, you know, just back to school in general. It feels like a great time to uh, pause and reflect, but also kind of amp up, you know, We've been, I've been really focusing on kind of the cycles of the moon recently and just thinking of those as, you know, a monthly season to of when to, when to kind of dive in and when to kind of work outward. So I'm really happy that you're here and I hope that today's episode can motivate you and inspire you to begin your own season two with me. <sighs> So let's discuss how to get kids emotionally and mentally prepared for season two. Um, it's hard enough to get ourselves emotionally and mentally prepared for that change of seasons. But, you know, for, for kids, um, this idea of back to school, thinking about anxiety that they might have, thinking about, you know, things from their past, from last school year, things that just don't set well in their heart, things that were difficult. Um, but also new executive functioning skills to put into place now that the school year is beginning. So now that it's fresh, right? So the biggest one I often see is being organization. So starting the school year with proper methods of organization in place that are doable, things that are sustainable, because overhauling all of your organizational methods at the beginning and then kind of life getting busy as it always does this time of year, it's just not possible. It's not sustainable. So let's think about ways that you can create systems and routines for your child that also fit the needs of your family and the time constraints of your family and ultimately what works for your family as a system. <clears throat> 
So my number one advice is start small. You know, you don't need all the planners, all the binders, all the organizers and the clean desk and the family calendar and all those things. Just pick one. Really start to think about what's the one thing that we want to focus on this month or, you know, like the next two months. Really, should you should spend about a month and a half. Um, it takes about six to eight weeks to develop these routines. And once you've kind of got them under your belt, then you can introduce new routines. So. What's your biggest challenge as a family? If getting up on time is your biggest challenge, remembering the backpack is your biggest challenge, um, lunch or the argument over packing lunch and what's to eat for lunch and what they don't want to eat for lunch and things like that uh, is your biggest challenge, bedtime routines and homework and tackling homework. Maybe it's bringing homework home in the first place. Uh, is your biggest challenge the organization of your house and where things are kept? So I think we could really start to look at that. Uh, if we're gonna go, if we're going to look at the systems and routines for a child of any school age, so obviously the older they are, the more likely they can potentially and hopefully manage their own things for themselves and the independence that they have. But that isn't always the case, and that isn't always reality. It might be a big expectation at this time until you've built in some of these things that we're gonna discuss today. So if we're looking at specifically organization and the executive functioning skill of organization, which is super important as an educator, that is the first thing and the biggest and kind of one of the only things that I teach and kind of harp on, especially when I was teaching sixth grade, is the system of organization because everybody has different skill sets in this area. I've got super organized kids. I've got less organized kids. It is a skill that has to be explicitly taught though. We don't just wake up and know how to be organized. Unless you are a type one person, you don't just have that necessarily built within you. It needs to be modeled. Maybe we become better organizers because we see organizing you know, parents or caretakers, but maybe we don't have organized parents and caretakers and, and you yourself are struggling with a system of organization your kids are definitely going to struggle but that struggle is also going to impact a lot of their learning skills and a lot of their learning needs so if we can just start fresh right we're starting a new school year fresh or kind of starting this next season of life fresh this is the time to tackle those things. I know often we think about, um, you know, springtime is like spring cleaning and starting fresh then. I don't know about you, but my life is nuts during spring. We have birthdays and graduations and all sorts of things happening. To me, the fall is the best time to start, especially organizational, um, you know, tactics or, or skill sets or routines and things like that, because it does follow the school calendar. So if you don't, if, you, if your family doesn't naturally follow the school calendar, or maybe your school calendar is a different, maybe you're on a balanced school calendar and you start back in July, thinking of whatever this season might be, this kind of back to school season, <clears throat> as a time to really uh, nail it down and or at least get it started, right? So let's just look at um, how this then applies by breaking it down by the Enneagram type. So at this point, you're going to want to kind of have an inkling about your child's predominant Enneagram type. Obviously, my opinion is that we are all nine types, as I fully believe that we are all nine types. 
Uh, I know that there's a lot of people in the Enneagram world that are going to disagree with me on that. But specifically when we're looking at kids, it's not fair to type them prematurely or really to type them based on their own personal experiences, right? If they can't explain these things for themselves, then we're just looking at patterns and that we observe. And from those observations, we're asking questions. So you can go back. I have some supplementary episodes about the types of questions that you can ask your kids or guiding questions to ask your kids to better develop some ideas or observations about what your child's type might be. But let's just break it down for right now, um, assuming that you've got an inkling about the the types that live with you in your family. So as always, we're kind of going to go around the circle, follow the wheel, and start with type one. And type one is often known as the perfectionist. And this is the kid that probably doesn't really need to work on organization. Uh, If you have a type one kid, this is probably not an area that is a high need for you or for your family. And what I notice is we typically have type one kids. They very often come from type one parents or guardians or adult influences that maybe you're not a type one person, but you have a type one parent. Uh, Maybe you grew up in a type one household. Maybe your child was raised by a type one grandparent or a type one caregiver. Whether that's like, you know, a nanny or an au pair or babysitter or things like that. I would say that when type one kids are surrounded by type one people or type one energy, it definitely makes them feel at home. It makes them feel safe and secure because they don't have to worry about somebody else not living up to those organizational or quote unquote perfectionism standards or characteristics that they know that they can rely on this person. The type one people very often seek out other type one people because there's safety in numbers. It's less stress, it's less work to have to manage somebody else, you know, if they can manage themselves in the same kinds of ways. It's almost an element of control, which is a little unfortunate, but it's doable. And if we can manage it, it's less about control and more about how to better acclimate to those skills. It becomes a little bit more justifiable. So, you know, type oneers or type one children, like I said, organization is probably not your highest priority right now. And then maybe you can come back to this and and we can discuss a different executive functioning skill. Um, But today, obviously, we're just going to focus on organization and your type ones are going to have tons of tools and strategies and support to keep you organized in your household. You just need to ask. Um, Maybe you already have a really good system of organization. Maybe you are a type one person and you've got a type one kiddo at home. And that's awesome. And, and spread the love, you know, share and comment to me, what are some strategies that work for you as type one people? Um, because the more the merrier. So you type two people, you know, they are our caretakers. They're our helpers. They're the ones who are going to want to help you organize things, especially if you have a two wing one. So we talked a little bit about wings in previous episodes and how we can kind of activate different strengths within ourselves, but this also can activate weaknesses based on your wing. So if you are a type two person and you are a wing one, that means that you are a loving caretaker, but you are probably very organized or you're a loving caretaker, you're a helper, you want to help other people clean their house. We see this a lot in our daughter and we laugh often because our daughter is the kid 
that gets invited over for playdates and she ends up cleaning the closets of her friends you know the, those are the par the parents of the friends like we love having her she's so helpful she's always the kid that cleans up before it's time to go home you know those kinds of things that you know we wish we could have her over more often she's so organized and so and so's you know entire closet or or bedroom is cleaned or whatever and these are often ways that the type 2 kids can show their love they know that it feels better when the room is clean right or a room is organized when you know they're where your stuff goes and so if you've got a type 2 person especially a type 2 kid that leans with a wing one letting them organize things let them be in charge of making sure that things get put back where they need to go you know just start small start with you know the drop zone or, or where you keep your backpacks or something like that start with the desk space or the kitchen counter space wherever the family meets up together to kind of community break down your day. So whether that's a space where you do your homework or maybe you have an office that you all work in the office together. I know for us, it's always the dining room table and it's always piled up with a million different things. Let your type two kid be in charge of organizing that. Maybe this is where you need to buy the little organizer things, you know, the compartments or shelves or something like that. This is gonna give them a fulfilling task that they know is helping the family or helping someone else especially when you reciprocate you know the follow-up with that task with oh my gosh it looks so clean in here it's so fresh and organized i can't wait to start that tomorrow i'm just i'll have to start a new day or start a new week start a new school year i can't wait you've made it so comfortable you know you've made it so cozy you made it so clean and organized you you do you did this for me i'm so grateful so if you can express that gratitude and the recognition of their hard work, this is going to make you happy or this has made you happy. Now, this is a fine line between codependency and help in the type two. And we often see type twos as very codependent. And so when we say things like, when you do this, it makes me happy. Sometimes a type two person will internalize that as, you're only going to be happy if I do these things, especially as kids, because they they don't know the nuances of language. They can't read subtext yet. So if we could think very broadly about our kids or our family members being multipersonal, having all the nine types within them and activating different areas of those nine personalities, we will have less codependent kids. They're not going to lean in so hard on that you to make me happy, you know, statement. But at the same time, when, you know, the world gets crazy and you're stressed out because, you know, there's soccer practice and missing projects and birthday parties and things and life gets in the way and the organization goes low on the priority list, you can say to a type two person, whether that's your partner or your kid or whoever, oh my gosh, it just feels really overwhelming and like a mess in here. I think we should probably focus on getting reorganized that type two is going to hear that loud and clear and say, yep, I got this. Let me clean things up. Let me reorganize things because it's going to make everybody more happy and more calm. All right, so let's move on to those type threes. Your type three kid, this is your high achiever. This is your needs to just get it done and get the recognition for getting it done and doing it well in the first place kind of kid. This is the kid who needs it to be a race organization needs to be a competition. And so if you have 
multiple children in your home, or even if you don't, even if you only have one child in your home, understanding that there needs to be either erase the clock or erase the person. Um, And also for type three people, letting this get carried away or get out of control, letting the mess or the disorganization really kind of lose the leash is going to be hard for them because they compartmentalize. They want to know the expectations so that they can fulfill the expectations exceedingly. And so if the expectation is to keep you know, this designated space clean or to put the backpack in this spot every single night, they're going to need a little bit of a carrot on a stick to make sure that that continues to happen. So oftentimes, we see type three kids, they're the ones who do really well with like the chore wheel or the chore chart and maybe adding to your chore chart something about, you know, like cleaning the desk or organizing the office or whatever that might be, you know, appropriate age level for your kid, especially for your type three kids. They need to be able to click it off the to do list. Um, whether that's a sticker on a chart or a check mark on a whiteboard or whatever system works for you. I would also encourage you to let them build the system. Give them some choices. You know, would you rather have a chore wheel or would you like to have this graph with these stickers? Would you like to have this whiteboard? Um, Very oftentimes, especially if you've got a type three kid that you maybe might misidentify or maybe identifying as a type one, they love whiteboards because they can wipe the entire thing clean and start completely fresh. So, Your type three kids um, would also do really well with a calendar. Maybe you put them in charge of the family calendar, whether that be like a weekly calendar or a big monthly calendar, you know, those whiteboard calendars that they put on the wall are perfect for type threes because it helps them long range plan. It helps them see and plan out the month or the week as opposed to just today and tomorrow. Um, They're also then able to click it off the list or erase it off of the list. And they're probably going to want to do both to tell you the truth. Being able to kind of check mark off or scratch off all these different tasks sends a huge dopamine hit to them. So don't rob them of that. When they get to finish a task, whether that's, you know, cleaning the toys, let let them put on the sticker, let them cross it off of the to-do list. You know, when you go to the grocery store, put them in charge of the grocery list and a pen and tell them, okay, you know, we're, we're putting onions in the grocery cart. Can you cross onions off the list? That constant feed of dopamine is going to motivate them to continue that routine. You know, we're creating pathways or making neurological pathways that build habits. That's what routines are. They're habits. And it it takes a while to build a habit. But if you are connecting a habit with a dopamine hit, and we see this often in school, if you're connecting habits with play, with games, those are all sources of dopamine that feed the brain those habits will be more quickly connected, more quickly built when it's built in a system of pleasure as a, as opposed to a system of pain. So threes are great candidates for these types of systems of routine, especially when it comes to being able to physically cross off something or erase something. So Get your calendar in order. Let them kind of look at it. Even if you know maybe they don't have that much to do. Maybe you're a family that doesn't have a lot of after-school activities or weekend activities and your calendar is just kind of a bunch of dates. Um, What can help is meal planning. You know, maybe you need to make the menu for the week. I know in my household, the last thing I want to do is think about cooking at the end of the day, especially as a teacher. I make 
too many decisions in a day. And so meal planning is just really difficult for me. So we have a little, you know, whiteboard, like a Monday through Friday calendar right on our fridge. And when I can get myself motivated (laughs) to set aside the time to make the menu for the week, uh, it feels great to know, you know, I don't have to worry about this tomorrow. Tomorrow I can just come home from work and just get to making the meal. Or, you know, like my husband can take care of just getting to making the meal without having to ask me like, what's for dinner? What did you have planned? And this and that. It does give me that little dopamine hit as well. And it it also feels good. Like, okay, I made the meal. I know I can erase this off of the calendar and I don't have to look at it. It also kind of gives you this dopamine hit of like counting down the week, especially if you're the kind of person that looks forward to Friday or, you know, looks forward to the weekend. As you erase those things off the calendar, you know, particularly meals, it's like one day closer to Friday, you know, one day closer to a little bit of relaxation or freedom. So I do see a lot of three in me that pops up, you know, when it comes to those kinds of tasks, uh, you know, task initiation and task management, which is another executive functioning skill. And we'll set aside another episode specifically about that. But maybe it's a little bit of wanting me, you know, being like a little bit of a perfectionist and knowing the plan. Uh, it makes me feel safe to have a plan. So sixes, you know, your, your type six kids are also going to feel really happy to know this is what I can expect for tomorrow, whether that be, you know, what I'm having for lunch or what activity I have after school or when my orthodontist appointment is or whatever sixes, you know, need to have that continuity and that stability as well. So a lot of these tasks that we discuss uh, are going to activate so many different types of kids and, and, you know, people and adults too, but it's going to satisfy a lot of different motivations for a lot of different types of people. You know, especially when we're looking at those threes and those sixes, they are interconnected. And, you know, we think of the Enneagram as kind of a graphic image. We've got these interconnecting lines um, of, of health, you know, and safety and security, but also kind of low sides. And the three, the six, and the nine are very closely connected. So you will see similar tendencies or, you know, these similar characteristics pop up. Even if you, you know, identify or your your child identifies as a type, we still activate and see a lot of other types within us, which again is why I feel that we are all nine types. But um, so yeah, we're going to move on. Let's move on to the four. And your type fours, they're so creative. They're going to want to make it look pretty. Now, whatever that is, you know, uh, as a teacher, this is where I see a lot of battles that I have to pick with my kids. My type four kids are going to want to spend three hours making a beautifully decorated chore chart or a beautifully decorated weekly calendar or weekly planner they're going to want to doodle. They're going to want to color those type one kids as well. They're going to want to highlight and color code. And it's going to feel so satisfying to them because it's a creative outlet and it's something that they have control over. So if you're going to go with the calendar routine and you know that your kid is type type four, you're going to have to pick the battle right here and right now. You're going to have to know that you're going to have to set aside a huge chunk of time for your kid to fulfill this task because they're going to do it beautifully. They're going to do it to their creative standard and they're probably not going to do it in the same format that you probably would have chosen. And you're going to have to be okay with that. You know, this is, we're kind of picking those battles and and relinquishing some control. This actually allows your child a lot more freedom and independence. If they're the one that has to create the system they're the one also expected to keep the system. 
And that would be a ground line that I would put in place right away. Okay, you know, you've spent this much time on this task or this, you know, chart or calendar or whatever. Let's talk about now, you know, we have to keep it this way. And I'm going to check in on you periodically, whether that's, you know, every day or every couple days or whatever. And I'm going to have you update the calendar and I'm going to have you check in on that calendar so that it's not just a creative craft task. It's a task with accountability. You know, they get to organize it in whatever way is visually and I guess tactilely as well, stimulating to them. So they're more likely to keep with that routine, but you are going to have to hold them accountable. This also goes for our type seven kids who are, they're going to get super excited about making something new and the idea of something, you know, new. And then halfway through, they're going to get bored with the task because it isn't providing enough dopamine anymore and they're going to abandon it. So that's just something to keep in mind. It's a battle to pick as well um, for your type five kids. Your type fives are maybe the most organized or the most disorganized kids in your household <laughs> because often what happens with us type fives is that we get hyper fixated. We get so engrossed in whatever our newest you know, adventure is that we don't notice the mess. We don't notice the disorganization. And it's not really something that necessarily motivates us. Um, it doesn't always give us a dopamine hit. So we can have piles and piles of books and piles of projects and piles of piles you know, everywhere. And we don't see them as piles. We know what's happening in each of those piles. <laughs> and I speak personally as a five and someone who struggles in this area. Um, often at home, not so much in my work life, but particularly in my personal life, uh, my family can attest and, and laugh at this that I have what I call organized chaos. <laughs> I've got piles on the dining room table that are like, you know, things like things that need to be laminated and ongoing projects like painting projects. And somewhere under there is a buried backpack. And I've got piles in the bedroom that are, you know, things that I need to get taken care of or get put away, or things I need to get folded. I've got piles in the office that, you know, are like work-related books that need to be read. And I'll be reading, you know, four different books at once, but I'm kind of bouncing through them all. So I, I need all of these books at my disposal because if it have it out of sight, it becomes out of mind. And it's something that I need to keep fresh on my mind. Type five kids. This will also go for my type seven kids, but type five kids particularly are the post-it note crew. So if you've got a type fiver, um, whatever system that you put in place that you come up with, be sure that post-it notes are included in this. Whether they're tiny post-it notes that, you know, that go inside books or they're the big post-it notes, you know, that can cover a mirror or a wall. And I'm not sponsored by post-it, but, but feel free to, to sponsor me because I go through thousands of post-it notes a year and I, I wish that there was a more um, resourceful and like ecologically friendly uh, post-it note venture um, that I'm looking into. But, uh, you know, when things are out of sight, they won't get finished. And so I know for me, I constantly have post-it notes hanging, even inside my car, of just the things I need to remember. My brain gets so full with so much information and ideas and to-do lists and a variety of things that this happens a lot for type fives, is that we get so engrossed in consuming information that we forget where to put the information. And if you don't write it down, often something else gets added to the information plate and it kind of gets buried in the sauce. 
So it, let, let's say we go back to the calendar routine of keeping things organized. Maybe the calendar is made of post-it notes. Um, maybe each day is a post-it note and we write on that post-it note and we take that post-it note off with us that day to do whatever it is that we're going to do for the day. For myself professionally, I make lots of lists of, of things that need to get done, tasks. And especially if I know that I need to do it after school or on my way home or something like that, the post-it stays in my hand until I get in the car. It gets put on the dashboard so that when I'm driving home, I don't have like a brain break and forget, like I forget, you know, I forgot I was supposed to go to the dry cleaner. It's right here in front of me. I see it when I look down at the dash and remind myself, yep, I've got to go to the dry cleaner. Things I don't get finished that are time sensitive get added to the next post-it note or, you know, moved to the next day. So in my actual you know, teaching planner, I'll write things on, on post-it notes or I'll write them, you know, like in my schedule or my planning box or things like that. And there and my planner is full of tons of arrows because this task needs to get moved to tomorrow or Friday because, you know, it needs to stretch or I didn't get it taken care of or whatever. So that idea of flexibility is really important for type fives. We need to know that, yes, it needs to get done and it has priority, but there has to be flexibility with the other things that also need to get done for us. So let's say you're making a calendar that's made out of post-it notes and, and we're on Monday and one of the tasks that needs to happen on Monday didn't happen. It still needs to happen but it needs to be physically moved to Tuesday. So you either you know, allow your child to write that task on the Tuesday post-it note or do like I do, take the Monday post-it note, cross off the things that did not, or that did get done, circle the remaining things that did not get done and it gets physically moved and attached to the Tuesday post-it note. <laughs> So now you have this extra long post-it note, which is visually kind of annoying, and it will be annoying enough to a five to just get it done. So you can get rid of that annoying extra, you know, post-it note finally. Some kids might not be as highly motivated, you know, about the visually annoying post-it note, but nine times out of 10, that anomaly to the calendar is enough to afford to just kind of get it done, get it done and over with. And when you're, your ones and your threes, you know, get to cross it off and that feeling of crossing it off, the feeling of taking the post-it note down, of crumbling it up and recycling it finally, kind of getting it off your plate and out of your life, you know, it's taken care of is such a dopamine hit for us fives. So, you know, as a five parent, you know, I don't have a five kid. I don't have a five spouse. But they know that this is a system that works for me and they often adopt systems for me just as I adopt systems for them. And it's a multi-way street. It's not just a one-way or a two-way street. It's a multi-way street. You know, it's the Autobahn of connectivity um, and communication. And all of this comes out of an altruistic motivation of love. So, you know, keep these things in mind. Maybe you're not a poster note person, but maybe someone else in your house is a post-it note person and and you can build the habit for them to help build the habit. So on to the type sixes. The type six kids often have a really difficult time in my classroom. And you know it's it makes me sad to to say that or admit that. 
Um, but I know that it's because I'm not the kind of teacher that puts up a minute by minute or you know hour by hour plan for the day. That's just not how I operate because I need that flexibility as a type five. And type six kids really, really need to know what's going to happen next. They struggle often so much with anxiety and planning for the worst case scenario as opposed to the best case scenario. And so if you can set routines, you know, organization specifically for someone who already has a plan A, B, C, D, and F um, for every little thing, you are so much more calm and so happy. The sixth kid at home is compliant. You know, they'll do it, but they're not going to enjoy, you know, kind of being put off into the office and saying like, okay, um, you know, go take care of this for me like a two would. A six wants to do it with you. You know, a seven also wants to do it with you or a three is going to want to do it with you. And a two, of course, is going to want to do it for you, but they will also want to do it with you. So one thing I would suggest for your type sixers is that, you know, whatever the routine might be. So if we go back to this calendar idea, you know, that we've been discussing, making the calendar together and asking their opinion, you know, what do you, what do you think about organizing it this way? Or, you know, should we start the calendar with Sunday or with Monday. That's kind of a great debate in the United States of like, when does the week actually start? Um, You know, how do you feel about this, about how this looks? Or where do you think we should put this so that we see it often? So the process of creation is done together with them and they feel valued and that their input is heard and they feel respected. But they also want to hear your input. They want to know your expectations and your feelings about something before they can make a mistake. You know, they don't want to cross that boundary. Sixes are very boundary focused, whether that's creating boundaries or not crossing boundaries. Sixes are going to have high anxiety first thing in the day, especially if you have a kid, you know, who's a school age student, a grade school, middle school, you know, maybe even a high school student in some respects. They're going to start their day high anxiety because they don't know what their day is going to bring for them. They're also going to end the day really seeking dopamine. They're going to need to end the day decompressing. They're needing to talk about, you know, what happened and how they felt about what happened. So if you can build in some organizational time into both of those blocks of the day, whether that be setting alarms a little bit earlier so that that gives them a little bit more time to be ready. You know, type one and type sixes hate being late for everything. And they might often be late because they were so stressed out about being late that it causes them to be late. <laughs> but more often than not, your ones and your sixes, they want to be on time, if not early. You know, I was raised by a six parent and I was constantly told that if you're not five minutes early, then you're already late. And we were never late for anything ever. We would we would be a half hour early for things and kind of just sit in the car and hang out or whatever. But the parents hated being late for things and it, and it really stressed her out. So sixes, you know, they don't want to be late for things. So if you know that morning is already a, a bit of a struggle and getting out of bed, maybe there's, you know, morning routines or bedtime routines that are really difficult, make the extra time for them. You know, get up 40 minutes earlier if that's what they need to do to give them that stress-free time of leisure in the morning. Or, you know, the, you know, these X, Y, and Z things need to be done before you do this. I know there's a lot of parents who have their own morning routine and they need to get ready for work. And so kind of getting their kid ready quickly and then, you know, putting them on a tablet or putting them in front of the TV or whatever 
to keep them occupied while the parent can get ready. It, it comes out of a place of convenience, but it doesn't always come out of a place of best course of action to establish routines. That that way, especially independent routines. So setting aside a good chunk of time in the morning for you before school for your six to be able to make sure that they have everything that they need. And this can be exhausting for some people, especially if you are not a six person or you don't have a lot of six tendencies. Sixes need to be asked a million questions or they might ask you a million questions. You know, do you have your backpack? Do you have your computer? Is it charged? Do you have your charger? Do you have your homework? Do you have your binder? Do you have your socks? Do you have, you know, blah, blah, blah over a lot of questions over and over and over. But in asking those questions, we comfort and support our six because they can either double check and firmly say, yes, you know, I have it. Or, you know, they just packed the bag and they can say, yes, yes, I, I have my lunch. Yes, I have this. I have that. There are no surprises that there's no halfway down the street realizing, oh, my gosh, I forgot my, you know, whatever. And then the stress of having to decide, is it more important to go back and be late to get the thing I forgot? or to just not go with the thing I forgot and the consequence of whatever that might be. I want you to kind of just to like soak that in because so often people that don't have anxiety about these things, they really don't realize the the type of um, double-edged sword that that creates in, in a lot of high anxiety and a lot of type six people. And I saw this a lot as a teacher um, an upper grade teacher, especially on orchestra days, you know, so-and-so forgot their instrument and the amount of trauma that forgetting their instrument would cause them, that they were, you know, halfway to school, they forgot their instrument and their parent was not about to turn around and go back home to get the instrument. So they're not going to be late, but now they have to face the teacher saying, I forgot my instrument and the amount of anxiety and then the bargaining of what anxiety is more important. Having my mom upset with me because I made her turn around and now we're going to be late to get my instrument. Or the disappointment of my teacher knowing I forgot my instrument and now I can't participate in class. That already has set off so much cortisol in your student before the day has actually even started. And unfortunately, you know, type sixes, they can be kind of pessimistic. So so now their day began with, I forgot my instrument. And so now my day is going to be awful. And it's that whole, you know, Alexander in the no good, terrible day. If you've ever read that story, um, they've already written off the day as a wash. This day is going to suck because I forgot my instrument. And even if that's the only negative thing that happens in their entire day, that is going to be the thing that takes precedence over everything else. And when you've got a kid that comes to school with high cortisol and anxiety and they're stressed out and they're disappointed and they're worried, they're not going to be in an optimal learning space. They're not going to be able to absorb any information because it's going to take hours for their brain chemistry to re-regulate off of something that is so traumatic. Now, it seems super insignificant. It's no big deal, right? If you just forgot it once, it's no big deal. It's a very big deal to a type six and really to anybody with anxiety about those things specifically. But when you say it's not a big deal, just relax, you'll get over it. It'll be fine. These are gaslighting terms for a kid that is a type six or for any person that has type six, honestly. 
you're telling them that their anxiety and that their fears and that their concerns are not important and are not valid and are not met with love and understanding. And so what happens is kids then internalize these things, especially if you have a parent that says those things often. Just relax. It's no big deal. What then happens in that kid is that their parent is not safe to them. Their parent is not loving to them in their core. And obviously they know like my parent loves me, but those deep-seated needs are not being met because they're being told that they're not real. And I mean, that's, you know, the definition of gaslighting. So just be really conscious about your response to a child's disappointment, particularly um, about anxiety or stress, but how you choose to respond in the things that you say or the things that you don't say can have a bigger impact than you realize on them throughout the day. So as a teacher, when I receive a student in the morning who forgot their instrument is already stressed out, they've already kind of written off their day. I then have to spend two hours of the beginning of the day because it's going to take two hours for your brain chemistry to re-regulate. I've got to spend two hours talking that kid back down again, building the kid's self-esteem back up again, supporting that student and flipping the script in their mind and recovering what's left of the day. Two hours. So by lunch, I might have them back in a more optimal setting, a more optimal brain space. That means that essentially almost half of their day has been wasted because it's been flooded with cortisol and anxiety because they forgot their instrument. So if we can do a better job at managing how and when we want to address kids this way, we can do a better job at raising healthier kids. You know, and having these conversations out loud, honoring this in your kid, I know you're stressed out. I know you're super disappointed about, you know, forgetting your homework or forgetting your instrument. And I know that you're worried. I want to remind you it's going to be okay. But would you like me to tell your teacher? Would you, you know, it kind of advocate for them because they're going to be afraid. They're going to have nerves now. And they might say, no, 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 I'll take care of it. Or no, 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 it's fine. But if their response is, no, 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 it's fine. That's just them mirroring back what you have said to them. It's going to be fine. And they don't believe it. They're, they're just lying. They're telling the lie back to you because it's not going to be fine for them because in their mind, the day, the day is ruined. The day is awful. So at the end of the day, maybe this is where you can kind of build in some time, organizational time at the end of the day. We, you know, looking at that big calendar, you have, you know, orchestra tomorrow. Let's put your instrument right by your backpack or, you know, by the front door or better yet, put it in the car the night before so that it's already in the car and you can look down and say like, oh yeah, I've got the instrument, you know, or the the music folder or whatever that might be, especially if it's something that happens like one off, like it only happens once a week or something like that. It's much more likely to be forgotten because you get busy and, and things happen. So having that system of organization, whether that be a routine that you just do or something visual to look at, like a calendar um, or an organized space where things are kept and you check in with that space, you know, at the end of the day and at the start of the day, you're going to help set these kids, these type six kids up for success. So we're going to kind of flip to the other lily pad because our type seven kids, you're not going to see a lot of those same kinds of concerns unless you've got a type seven wing six. Um, They might be a little bit more concerned, but our type seven kids, 
they just want everything to be fun. So remember that those inner motivations of our type seven, see, this is a great paradox that for seven is they're the best at avoiding the worst. And they're always going to be the ones who have really great, brilliant, creative ideas, but finishing the project, finishing the task is going to be the biggest challenge for them. So whatever you implement as a system of organization for your family or for your type seven kids, it has to be easy. It has to be fun. It has to be short because if it's time consuming, if it is limiting in any way, your type seven kid is going to bail on it from the get-go. I think that getting them involved in the process or the creation of this organization system has the most potential because they have a little bit more buy-in. You know, it's their idea. However, typically with sevens, and, and we see this often with our type four people too, is that they're so full of so many creative and brilliant ideas that choosing one is difficult and sticking to one is even more difficult. So I think that the best advice I always give to the parents of type sevens is setting time limits. Because when something seems daunting or overwhelming, a type seven kid is going to break down immediately. Either they're going to task avoid because it seems like it's going to take forever and that's not going to be fun. And they only want to do things that are fun and quick. So if you can set some sort of timer or, you know, set the clock, we see this a lot, you know, with our type threes and being the winner in races and things, anything to make it fun is going going to be uh, making it a better system. But there also needs to be a follow-up with reward. So if you're expecting them to, you know, clean off their desk or organize their desk either before or after they start working, they're going to want to do it later. And later always becomes later and later and later. And so if you can follow it up with some sort of reward, something that's going to give them a dopamine hit, that's going to be more motivating. Now, this is really difficult. And there's a lot of statistical data out there showing that people that identify as a type seven often identify as neurodivergent or having ADHD, either with hyperactivity or without hyperactivity. And so this idea of attention span, of task initiation, of stamina, of perseverance, of growth mindset, all of these things are already challenges for a type seven person, especially if you're type seven that also identifies as neurodivergent, or you've got a kid you know, who's a type seven and they're on ADHD meds, things like that your windows of opportunity, your windows of optimal learning or optimization are very small and they're sporadic throughout the day. You're not going to see a type seven kid who can stay for four hours on a project unless it's something that they're incredibly passionate about. Then they'll be able to hyperfixate. But that's a waning hobby. You know, it's a waning focus. They'll be really into it for two weeks and then they'll never want to do it again. Or they'll have a favorite food for two weeks. And then after that, they'll never want to eat it again. All of these things are common characteristics with people uh, with ADHD or neurodiversity. So I would rather as an educator, you know, when we label people, um, when we identify people, it can become really limiting. I'd rather kind of put them into these different round categories of neurodivergency because you could be a neurodivergent and not be a type seven. Um, We just statistically see it more frequently in type seven people. So to me, The biggest area of support for type seven people 
is keeping it in sight at all times, <laughs> keeping it as less is more, you know, which is tough. You know, gluttony is actually one of the low sides of the type seven that they, they love to acquire. They love to take on more, you know, more things. They just like to get more stuff. They're little collectors. You know, they've got these great ideas of what they're going to do with all of these things or with all of this knowledge or these materials. But then, like I said, their focus and attention, you know, wavers off to something else. And then they're stuck having so much stuff. So honestly, the best beginning system or getting going for a type seven is to clean house. It's to really go through everything. Do you want this? Yes or no? And, And donate what you don't or, you know, trash or whatever, do whatever you choose to do with the extra items. But the less you can have, the easier it is to keep it clean and organized. You know, that's the, the minimalist way. They're minimalist because they don't have as much stuff. And oftentimes our, our type seven people can become kind of envious of minimalists because they want that sort of freedom, you know, that that lightness in their life. But they're also kind of cursed with with wanting this the next cool new thing. Um, so it's it's a difficult balance. And I really encourage families that either have a lot of type sevens in their family or, you know, anyone with neurodivergency in your family, but that you have a drop zone. So whether that be like your front door or your back door, or your garage door, however you enter your house is your drop zone. It's your landing zone because that's where all of your stuff is going to get dropped. And that's where your kid is going to drop all of their stuff. Um, and if you can make that a space that's set up for organization from the beginning, it's going to be a little bit easier to keep that drop zone, you know, with some statutes of limitation. So let's say your drop zone is, you know, your garage door. I know in our house, we come in and out of our garage more than we come in and out of our front door. So that's our drop zone, right? That means that you've got a key ring right at the door and that's where your keys go or, you know, a cabinet and that's where your wallet and your sunglasses and all the other extra items go right there in the basket on top of the cabinet or whatever or on the key ring. Or, um, you know, you've got hooks right at the door or a bench where you keep your shoes or a closet, you know, where you keep your shoes and the backpack goes immediately on the hook. It doesn't go on the floor. It doesn't go on the bench. It doesn't go on the chair. It doesn't go anywhere else except that space. Because what's going to happen is tomorrow morning when it's time for school, if you haven't put your backpack in the landing zone, who knows where the backpack is? You know, if you haven't put your violin in the landing zone, who knows what happened to the violin? So you might not have enough space you know, have a landing zone to ha- in, in, to house all of these things that you might have to have multiple landing zones. So even if you're thinking about it as like room by room, you know, where's your landing zone for this room? If the backpack always goes on the hook so that tomorrow, you know, we're in a rush because typically my type sevens are the ones that want to play before school or, or they're the ones that actually need to sleep in the most because they typically don't go to bed. It takes them a really long time to wind down at the end of the day. So mornings are a little bit more rough. If I can make my morning a little bit lighter or a little bit easier on a type seven kid, it's a softer entry into the world. They're going to start with more dopamine than they are cortisol, and it's going to make everybody's day better. So trying to do those routines the night before or, you know, when they come home, it's already there for tomorrow. It's insight because if it's out of sight, it's out of mind for them. You know, for sevens particularly, they forget about all the things that they have. And and you might notice this when you help your kid clean and you look under the bed and there's this mountain of things under it, under the bed or in the closet or the drawers or whatever. 
And as you start going through them, you know, my type seven kids are like, oh my gosh, I forgot about this. I forgot how much I love this. I can't get rid of it. And that's the hardest part when you're trying to do these kinds of deep purges and really minimalize your life uh, to make your life a lot lighter. They want to hold on to everything because it reignites the reason why they wanted it or why they got it in the first place. You know, I, I use our our friend as an example. Uh, he's a pretty stereotypical type seven and he's an acquirer. You know, I don't I don't want to call people hoarders because I think that has a, a really negative connotation and there isn't really a clear line between hoarding and acquiring, but uh, he's an acquirer. He acquires all sorts of really insane things, you know, and so many things are just amazing. And we're like, you know, who would have that? He would have that. And you can call him up and of course he's like, yeah, I have that. Um, Sometimes you're going to see these people, they have you know, offices or a workspace that's just full of random things. They've got basements that are just full of random things. They've got bedrooms that have bins and bins of random things because those things at one time served a purpose or provided a dopamine hit. So if we can get rid of some of those things, if we can minimize more of those things, it's going to make your life a lot easier to organize and to stay organized. You know, at the top of the show, we talked about sustainability, you know, creating systems that could be sustainable for your family. And that's the hard part about sevens is that they've got a great idea. They jump fully head in, you know, sometimes without really thinking about it, but sustaining it becomes so challenging for them. So if you can set up a system that's you know, quick and easy and fun, the more sustainable it's going to stay. We're going to move into our eights, you know, and one of the more difficult sides of the eight, you know, like the ones, we hate to call them perfectionists, even though we see a lot of those traits in them. The eights as well, we hate to call them bossy, but they can be so assertive. And there's a time and a place for all these specific traits. And, you know, and eights keep us safe. They fight for us. They challenge us. They keep us on their toes. Um, they can be very successful at their bossiness when they're being a good diplomatic voice. But the power versus control aspect is really challenging for an eight. So this is where you're going to want to pick your battles. You know, if it's between, you know, cleaning up and organizing the desk or getting the homework done, choose the lesser of two evils. Choose the easier route because your eight is going to tell you exactly how they feel about all of it. And honestly, like they're so independent and can be so independent. I would just let them roll with it. You know, give them these tasks. Say, you know, these are the expectations and let them figure out their own systems sometimes because they're going to have really great ideas and they're going to be able to create their own systems. And at the same time, it's theirs. They're in charge of it. They have diplomacy and autonomy over these things. So it's going to be easier to sustain and more maintainable than if you're being the boss. You're going to have to just have a control battle. Eights can be um, quite impatient and they have a lot of urgency in their lives. So any system that's going to be really time consuming, uh, like those sevens, they're not really going to want to stick with it. So if we can just make it very clear, very simple, very quick, the easier, the better for your eights. They're not going to have to think about it too deeply, but it does need to be something kind of physically stimulating. So whether that be like the act of hanging things up or putting things away, you know, these ideas, oftentimes eights and ones that have a wing seven, we give them really physically manual labor tasks to do because it activates so many different senses in their body. You know, not only like their typical five senses, but also like their proprioceptive senses. It's really going to activate the brain chemistry that they need to feel regulated inside. 
So mopping. It's one of the best tasks, um, honestly, for any aged kid, um, particularly younger kids. I, I've gotten two and three-year-olds to mop, but especially for an eight um, to be given, there's so much of a sense of accomplishment. You know, it looks so bad at the beginning and it looks so good at the end, you know, especially if you've got like a really dirty floor. That maybe one of those organization routines each week is them, you know, mopping the floor or whatever, you know, or vacuuming if you don't have, you know, hardwood floors to mop. Um, the satisfaction of these clean lines as you vacuum, that something went from disarray into organization. But it's also something physically stimulating in pushing a heavy vacuum or the act of wringing out of a wet mop that has to really utilize a lot of muscle groups. This is going to keep them stimulated enough to complete um, a task. Eights actually really like to get tasks done. Uh, sevens are quick to abandon a lot of activities, but um, eights, they want to see it to completion. Very rarely is an eight going to start a job and not finish it. They might wane in attention, um, especially if it's not very stimulating or physically demanding. <clears throat> they might take them longer than they would prefer. But if you can make it, you know, some physical aspect, they're going to want to make sure that they see it to the end. Um especially with some sort of group task. If, you, if you're all cleaning the kitchen together, you know, maybe that's part of your organization or we're all going to clean the desk. We're all going to clean the office together. You know, I'm going to take care of organizing the drawer and I'm going to have you wipe down the desktops or, you know, like, would you like to wipe down the, you know, the wood finish on the bookshelves or whatever that might be. Giving them kind of the cleaning component if they can't be stimulated enough with the organizational component. So we saw that a lot. Um, in my household as kids, my dad was an eight and he would much rather go out and like power wash the house or sweep the garage than have to organize the bookshelf or clean the inside of the house or things like that. So just kind of knowing your people, you know, knowing the people that live within your family and being able to identify tasks that are going to feel fulfilling for everybody and knowing that some of those tasks are not going to be fulfilling for others. You know, I would much rather sit and organize the bookshelf um, and alphabetize it by author, you know, color code it, um, organize the books than I would vacuum the floor or clean the carpets. Um, whereas, you know, my husband, he's going to clean the carpets before he's going to organize the books. So just kind of like knowing your people. I'm, I'm giving some autonomy, some choice over those tasks. And um, here's the to-do list of things I need to get done. Would you like to take care of them or let them be in control of those things? Because ultimately, you know, the control factor is going to override any other choices that they make. Um, the best thing that you can do for an eight as well after those tasks are done, as I had mentioned um, this earlier, following it up with some sort of whether that be verbal praise or physical praise, reward, something that allows the person to then kind of step back and have some metacognition. You know, reflect on the process, on what they did, appreciate how it started and, you know, how does it look? Oh, it looks so good. It smells so clean. Um, it feels so fresh. You know, the room feels big or whatever kind of verbalization or physical actions that need to be taken to really represent a job well done. You know, so many types are craving that support. They're craving feedback. You know, we see that in the type twos, we see that in threes, we see that in fours, we see that in sixes and sevens and eights um, and, and nines. They all really just want feedback. We want to know how we did. Um, you know, we almost all of us want to know that we did a good job. You know, we can see that it looks nice. We, we know that it feels good, 
But to hear someone else comment on, wow, this looks great. Uh, you know, we did such a good job or wow, that was such hard work. You worked so hard today. And my type eights really would prefer to hear that sort of feedback than you did a good job because it doesn't really mean much. You know, it's quite shallow in a comment, but if we say something like, wow, that vacuum was so heavy. Look how much you got cleaned. Like you did such hard work today. This idea of being a hard worker, of being strong is an internal motivator, you know, a factor for the eight psyche that connects, it correlates with their own view of themselves. So we, we don't need to constantly, you know, pour into them that like, you're so strong, you're so brave, but if we can connect the work that they did or the outcome of a task with something that we know motivates them, they're way more likely to be compliant when we ask them to do another task again or a different task because they've been fulfilled, right? They're fulfilled in the thing that they're seeking. So okay, our type nine kids. Um they're actually going to be the most difficult to motivate to clean or organize something. Um, they they have these sloth-like tendencies, which has a really negative connotation to it, but their self-neglect is strong and they want these cozy, loving environments. And oftentimes they're not ready to commit to the actions. Uh, these are our quintessential procrastinators. And very frequently they're procrastinating because they don't want to mess up. They don't want to put someone out. They don't, they don't want to do the wrong thing. So they're going to wait to be told what's the right thing. And if they have to make those decisions on their own, they're going to constantly second guess their decisions. You know? So for nines, if you can give really clear boundaries and really clear expectations, um, they appreciate that because very often type nines can't make their own boundaries. They can't express their own expectations. And so this element of emotional connection to what seems like a trivial task, you know, organizing something is actually much more compelling and much more motivating than it is just giving them a job to do. They're not initiators. So task initiation is really difficult. You know, your type sevens, they're the task avoiders. Your type nines, they lack task initiation. So if you can be really clear about the goal, the outcome of what you want, and then also flexible and letting them know, you know, however it looks is how it looks. Because oftentimes the reason that they're not going to initiate is because they don't want to mess up. They don't want to do it wrong. They don't want you to be disappointed in them. So giving autonomy, but also giving them suggestions. You know, maybe we could start doing blah, blah, blah. You know, if let's go back to our, our landing zone in the household. Maybe we could just start by picking up all the backpacks or putting all the backpacks where they go. This is a broad enough statement that it gives some freedom and some choice but it's also a clear enough statement to, of what to start with. Okay, I just have to start with the backpacks and, and then I'll decide where the backpacks go or how I'm going to hang the backpacks. Sometimes it's enough of a kickstart for a nine to kind of get the juices flowing, but they're going to need a follow-up. They're going to need some accountability because otherwise they're just going to do that task. Okay, I did the backpacks. I'm done. And they're going to go back to either self-soothing or doing whatever task that they were more content doing, or they're going to wait for a follow-up direction or piece of advice. You know, I did the backpacks, now what? Um, and they're going to kind of look at you and you're going to look at them and say, you know, what do you mean? <laughs> look at all the other things that need to get done. And 
they can be really frustrating for people, especially someone who's already an initiator. You know, if you're a one, if you're a three, you're just going to get it done. <laughs> you don't want to wait around for a nine to figure out what to do next. Um, that can seem really daunting. And that's that's where you kind of need to put your own um, types aside. You need, you need to check yourself and put yourself in place because you're interacting with somebody else. That's not you. And that's not motivated by the same things that you're motivated by. So um, giving a breakdown, you know, whether that be a verbal breakdown, you know, clean up the backpacks. And then after that, give a second task, you know, then we're going to, you know, organize the desk or put away all the pens, you know, something that's relatively specific, but broad enough that they can kind of continue on, you know, if they choose. You might get to a point where the nine then, especially a nine with a wing one, um, if you say like start with the backpacks, then they start to notice the other things that need to be taken care of or they can do those things on their own. It's just getting going. They need that first step with you might not know. They um, A really classic nine or someone that's nine that has you know really high seven sides. It's like, well, I did the backpack and move on. I want to do something else. <laughs> so you, you don't notice you are the adult. You are the adult and you're the motivator, the initiator. Um, you do need to have some sort of checks and balances. So we're going to do the backpack. And then after that, you can clean off the kitchen table or, you know, you can put your shoes away or whatever that might be. Give them two tasks. This is actually really important for young kids. If you've got, um, you know, four-year-old or you've got a six-year-old, starting to notice how many tasks or how many different directions that you can give your child that they can hold in their memory. Because our goal really is to help them build those executive functioning skills and Working memory is just as important as organization because without working memory, your organization skills, you know, they don't they don't mean much. So they've got to remember all the backpacks go on the hook. And that comes down to working memory. So if you notice that you're really needing to build or work on some of those traits um, with those kids making it like a test or game of saying, okay, um, I gave them two tasks and they can remember those two tasks and they can focus on those two tasks. And now the next time I'm going to give them, you know, three tasks and can they hold three directions in their mind? And for how long, you know, um, the younger kid, the less likely they are able to hold these directions in their mind just because their working memory is a lot shorter. Um, but you might have a sixth grader, you know, a middle schooler who can only hold two tasks in their mind um, or two directions in their mind. And, and they're not red flags, but they are signals that working memory is an area that needs to be stretched. So maybe you start to incorporate these kinds of activities that the cleaning and the organizing or whatever, um, building in the working memory concurrently. They need to do those things together. Uh, I need you to put the backpacks away, clean up the shoes, find the scissors, and then notice, are they only listening to the first thing? Are they only listening to the last thing? Um, you know, which do they choose and first? And from these observations, you know, these are glimpses into your child's brain or your student's brain, or your partner's brain um, and how it works, because these are not just things for kids. You know, this is not just stuff we do isolated in the classroom. If we can do these things at home, um, if we can't do these things at home or I can't do them in real life, then they don't mean much if we're only you know, activating them and practicing them in the classroom. If you as a parent are only expecting these things to be practiced or worked in the classroom and you're not doing them at home or holding your kid accountable at home and they're only practicing them in isolation, in an isolated time of day, in an isolated environment with an isolated leader, and they're only going to exhibit that skill 
when they're in that system of isolation. So if you really want to work on working memory, you know, maybe you've had a conference with your kid's teacher um, and, you know, they say like, we need to work on working memory. These are things that we can then do at home that we as the parent, we as the adult, you know, you got to hold yourself accountable. You've got to step up Um, and we're all going to mess up. We're all going to forget. We're all going to, you know, make mistakes and life's going to get busy and in the way. But if you can also give yourself some grace, just as you would give your kid grace, you know, like we really got off track. We, you know, we started September strong and now it's Halloween and I'm, I'm looking around and this house is a disaster. You know, it got away from us, you know. Okay. The walls did not come crumbling down. Everyone survived. We just need to refresh. We need to reset. And so, you know, ahead of time that it's going to happen. You're going to have to restart. You're going to have to refresh, especially if you've got kiddos at home that, you know, are sevens and and need novelty much more frequently. Or you yourself are a seven and you need novelty. You need a new system. And so going in and noticing is the first step. Wow. Things are a disaster in here. You know, it feels really overwhelming. And that right there is the first cognitive behavioral step is to notice, wow, I'm finally noticing how messy this room is and I'm avoiding this room because it makes me feel overwhelmed. That's a really big clue. It's a huge insight into how you process things and how, you know, um, maybe it's going to kind of help maybe to make some connections for you as you're trying to discover your own Enneagram type or your own personality traits or your high sides or your shadow, you know. I'm avoiding the kitchen because it makes me feel overwhelmed. Stopping, noticing. You know, we say this to kids in one of our social emotional learning lessons, like stop and name your feelings. There's a whole song that you can look up, but um, how do I feel about this? It makes me feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel overwhelmed. I don't want to be in here. I don't want to be in this space right now. I don't like it. And I notice. I notice what I don't like, what makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, there's a lot of stuff on the counters, like the counters are super messy. And then I noticed the floor is messy and there's tons of dishes in the sink. Okay. So instead of walking away, which what is one thing that you can do to make yourself feel more comfortable in this situation? It might just be standing in the kitchen and noticing the mess or standing in the office and noticing the mess. It might just be, okay, what's the path of least resistance? What's the easiest thing I can do right now? I can pick up my shoes off the floor and put them away. Then at least I can walk through the room. And and that's one, you know, maybe only step. You might only have to just put your shoes away. And then you need to leave the room because it's just like too much. Or you put the shoes away, right? And then this is what I give, like call like the give a mouse a cookie scenario. If you've ever read that book, um, if you give a mouse a cookie and it's a great series. It's super cute, but it's like one of those, if I give them a cookie, he's going to want some milk and then I'm going to go to the kitchen. I'm going to get some milk and I'm going to notice blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of this rabbit hole, you know, it's a breadcrumb trail of all the other things that need to happen. So let's say you're in that scenario, you know, and you're the mouse and you're going for the cookie. You go to put the shoes away because that's the first step of something you can do. And then you notice um, wherever you put, you just like, I'm going to the closet or shoe closet. Oh my gosh, the trash is like overflowing. Now we need to empty the trash. Now you have another choice. You can just shut the door and empty the trash later. You can do that next task, but remember and allow the fact that your original task was cleaning the kitchen. It wasn't taking out the trash. And you went from step eight to, you know, of purely putting your shoes away, if whatever it is, you know, the noticing and honoring about yourself, I'm, I'm gonna take out the trash, yes or no. If I choose, you know, it's like a choose your own adventure book. If I choose, yes, okay, I'm taking out the trash. 
that also means that I need to go, um, you know, in, in a situation or our household, I need to go back into the kitchen now and get another trash bag to put into the trash can. And I'm going to walk back into the kitchen and I'm going to see how messy it is. And I'm going to feel really overwhelmed again. And now I have another choice to make. I can take another task and feel less overwhelmed in this messy kitchen, or I can leave the room. And if you choose to leave the room, it's okay. You're not a bad person. It still has to happen though. And that's something that I notice as a teacher in my classroom is my kids, they will task avoid all of this task avoidance. By the way, my kids will task avoid because it seems super overwhelming. It seems super overwhelming because they don't know where to start or they don't have the stamina to complete it. And, or that they won't be able to finish it. And that's what happens with our type nines is that they're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this done. So I just won't even start because it's going to take me forever to finish it in the first place. And our sevens are like, I don't even want to start because it's going to take forever and it won't be fun. <laughs> and our ones, you know, they can't handle the mess. They're just going to do it because they cannot handle the mess. Or the fives, you know, they don't notice the mess because they're off with their nose in a book or doing something else that makes more messes and more piles. And, you know, our fours, they aren't going to want to do it because it's not creative. And the less than, you know, completely, unless I let them completely reorganize the kitchen and move everything, you know, to different, to, those are two different chores. Um, our, our twos are going to do it because they know that it's going to make someone else happy. Um, it's going to make my husband happy if I just clean the kitchen and put the dishes away. So I'm just going to do it because I want that person to be happy. They're not doing it for themselves though. And they're not doing it because it's a mess. They're doing it because they know it's going to impact somebody else. Um, you know, our threes, they don't want to seem messy to anyone. So if they know that someone's going to see that, um, they're going to get embarrassed by it. So they'll just take care of it to save themselves from some embarrassment. You know, our sixes, they'll be frozen because they aren't sure what to do. Just like our nines are frozen. You know, our, our eights are going to want to blame someone. You know, our eights will say like, who made all these dishes and who didn't put the dishes away? And if, if you live alone, you only have yourself to blame, right? Um, if you're of a small family, you know that your dishes, you've only got yourself. So you've got several choices here. And none of these choices are going to end in catastrophe, though. Some of the choices are going to end with you having a dopamine hit at the end and looking around saying, oh, my gosh, I feel so much better in here. Yeah, it sucked. It took forever to clean this, but I'm glad that I did it because now it's done. So. If you're going to be like, you know, I did it, but now I have to keep it clean. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Worry about it tomorrow. See if you can just sit in those feelings, whether those feelings are negative and you feel overwhelmed by the mess or the feelings are positive because you did, you know, a really good job or you know, a really detailed job. It looks really nice um, or however it is that you feel. If you feel positive at the, at the end of it, but let the worries come when the worries are supposed to come. You know, don't worry about sustaining it after you've just completed the task. Worry about that tomorrow when you come back to it and you notice that it's still clean and, you know, your calendar, you know, looks organized or your landing zone is really nice and organized. And then you come home from school the next day and your kids dump everything all over the floor. That's where your choose your own adventure begins. That's where you can make a choice. And that code, that's called accountability. <laughs> so once again, you know, we've kind of covered a lot of things. Um, this is what you need to notice about yourself. You know, where, where's the spot that you see the biggest mess? What system didn't work for you? Um, you know, talking more about organization, you know, what wasn't working? What isn't working now? Where do you feel the most uncomfortable um, and why? And begin there. Because honestly, 
sometimes, you know, you say, like, start with the small stuff and move on to the big stuff. But the little stuff is just laying, delaying the inevitable of getting to the big stuff. So really, I'm just kind of like, you know, cutthroat. Let's just get to the nitty gritty. And and everything else seems so much easier because it's all the little stuff now. Um, is the, the little stuff is easier to take care of or the things that don't have much priority or precedent, you know. Um, we got something that must happen. So like, for example, you know, you've got friendly family friends coming over, you know, in town. Um, Our office is a disaster, which is also the guest room. This is where they're supposed to be staying, you know, and um, the office is going to take four times longer to clean than any other room in my house. So instead of starting with an easy room and waiting to get to the office, I have to prioritize. I have to do that uncomfortable thing first. But that uncomfortable thing first is going to give me the greatest reward after you know the least comfortable thing so try to tackle those big things you know discuss it as a family you know discuss it as a group of people this isn't working for us look how messy this is maybe it's just your car i don't know about you but i i live out of my car um and in california in california they like we live out of we're in our cars so frequently you know there's always um volleyball practices and lessons to go to and this and that and it kind of looks like i live in my car and sometimes i just need to start with that i've got to get this car taken care of it's not going to be fun it might take some time but it's going to feel so much better every time i get back in the car and i won't feel so embarrassed about how messy my car is (laughs) you know um i'm probably the only one my family's the only one that sees that but um you know, sometimes I, when I'm walking through a parking lot, I will sometimes glance in other people's cars and I'll notice like, oh, wow, that's really messy in there. <laughs> Especially if it's in my school parking lot, you know, there's other teachers that are going to see my mess. And so that's enough of like a type three motivator. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be embarrassed by my own mess. So I'll just take care of it. You know, start small. Uh, start with the focused area, you know, whether that be organization or whatever, find a system that works and then stick with that system and then add in a new system. You know, if it's really working for you and you guys can sustain it for several weeks, you know, up to three months, if it's still working for you, then, you know, hey, that worked. Like, let's focus on, um, you know, another system or something else to organize or another space in the house or something else that needs to be equally prioritized. You know, maybe it's your bathroom, maybe it's the toy room, maybe it's your living room, whatever, Uh, maybe your kitchen, but then kind of extend that system that's already working for you. If after three weeks, the mess is back, it isn't working. Don't wait. Don't say like, we didn't give it a long enough try or we didn't try hard enough. That might be true. But if it was really working, you wouldn't really have to try it all because it would become a habit. You know, it takes 21 days to build a habit or you know, 75 repetitions to build a habit. So if you can give yourself 21 days or you know, 75 days to do something, then you'll know that it's really is a system that works for you. If it isn't sticking, even after 21 days, you know, that's three weeks. If it's not working, you need to overhaul. You need to try something different or you need to hold yourself more accountable. You know, have you really tried? Have, you know, by day two, are you letting the kids just dump their stuff back on the floor again in the landing zone? Or, you know, did you do the meal plan and you planned it on the whiteboard or the calendar for a week? And then by the second week, you didn't set any time aside to reset it or refresh it. So, you know, it's like it's the little things that you have to do to hold yourself accountable and hold your family accountable for those things. Kids can be much more resilient if you push them to be resilient. You know, there has to be accountability because that's the reality of your life. That no job that we have or thing that we do doesn't have a system of accountability. That no one's allowed to just 
be unaccountable. That's not realistic. Um, and that isn't setting your kid up for realism in their future either. So if you can hold each other accountable, and that's something that I encourage not only my family, but my students as well. When you see me mess up, you need to call me out on it. You know, that's a system of respect. I can call you out on the things, you know, when you mess up, but it's a two-way street and I need to be able to be held accountable too. Uh, and my, my students get a lot better. You know, I think over time with practice, I think that um, kids are uncomfortable with that at first because, you know, we're always kind of reminding them to be respectful to adults and respect elders or respect, you know, others. Like this is another level of respect. So you, you aren't being disrespectful by saying, hey, Mr. Berta, you know, you didn't do what you said you were going to do. And, and that impacts me because they're right. It does impact them. And that isn't disrespectful. So as a family unit, you know, having this discussion, hey, you know, you didn't hang up your backpack. And we know that's the system. You hang up your backpack when you walk in the door and, and you need to take care of that um, and take care of that job. And if I don't put my keys back on the key ring, you know, that I messed up and you need to call me out on that. Or if, if my shoes are in the middle of the floor again, you know, mom, your shoes are in the middle of the floor again. You're supposed to put your shoes away, right? It feels hurtful at the start because you're like, what? I'm the adult. I'm the parent. But in reality, it's just calling somebody, calling somebody calling you out on your garbage. You know, it's, it's important. It's going to help you become more resilient. But more important than that, um, it's your own lesson in your own growth. It's, it's the lesson that your kid is taking away from that, that even adults mess up. And even adults need to be held accountable, just like they hold us accountable. Um, you're going to build so much more respect with your students and with your kids um, or whoever's in your family. You know, they're going to grow and you're going to continue to have this kind of open dialogue or a more open relationship of mutual respect and loving respect in your house will be clean and organized in the process. Um, so hopefully, fingers crossed. So let me know if this works, you know, comments or tag somebody um, or offer up a comment or a message to me letting me know, you know, how this works with the student. If you have some more great ideas, I would love to hear them. Um, I'm always compiling, you know, lists of ideas to share not only with educators, but with parents. So if you've got a family or, you know, friend that you think this episode would be worthwhile for, um, offer it up for them to listen, you know, or, or if they're struggling with the same kinds of things with their kids, or maybe, you know, you're in a social group that this comes up as a discussion or, you know, back to school in general, you know, back to this new season as we shift seasons. So I would love if you would pass on this information, either, you know, distill it in your own words or send them a link to my podcast. But I hope that you can walk away with something meaningful and beautiful today and that you can hold yourself accountable. You can give yourself the grace to mess up and be okay with messing up, but also give yourself the love to do a great job um, and to do as with anything, you know, to do it well. So I hope that you are well um, and I will see you next time. So as always, we should end in a moment of mindfulness. There's a lot to digest today. And hopefully you feel excited and inspired and relieved that it might not always work, you know. But if we could just sit with those feelings for a little bit and kind of refocus our intentions on a new season, on a season two. Season two of your life or season two of the day or of the year for you but a chance to 
not only get yourself organized and clean externally, but also, you know, a little more organized and clean internally and kind of regroup and refocus. Just notice, notice the buzz that you might have. Notice the, the bits and bubbles of information that might be sticking out to you. Notice how you feel and how you felt as we went through each of the nine types and kind of identified some strategies. And I hope that you walk away today just feeling lighter. You know, we've brushed off some of the dust and the desk is clean and the car is clean and the kitchen is clean and your plate is ready for some new adventures. May you be happy and may you be well.